0: Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values, and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, dear listeners. This is Dr. Laura Froyen, and on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be discussing a sensitive topic how to discuss suicide and self-harm with your children and teens. I want to start this episode by emphasizing the profound care and sensitivity with which I've tried to approach this topic. Uh, This is a profoundly sensitive and emotionally charged subject that affects individuals and families in deep and lasting ways. My guest and I acknowledge that discussing these matters may trigger some strong emotions or difficult memories in you or those who are listening along with you and we want to provide a safe and compassionate space for you as we delve into this important issue. So please let this serve as a content warning. This episode contains discussions about suicide, depression, emotional, mental health struggles in children and teens and myself. We will share stories that and statistics that may be distressing for some listeners. Please please consider your own emotional well-being before listening and know that it is entirely okay to offer yourself grace and skip this episode if you feel that it may be too difficult for you to handle. If you or someone you know is struggling with lots of self-harm or suicide, we urge you to reach out to a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. In the United States, you can simply dial 988 to get support. There's also quite a few options internationally at International Association for Suicide Prevention, IASP dot info. It's an international site that kind of collects options for who to contact if you need support based on your country of origin. Please remember that you are not alone and help is available to you. All right, let's go into the episode now. Okay, so on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, I'm sitting down with Anne Moss Rogers to discuss suicide in our little ones, our young kids, our teens. So Anne Moss Rogers is a mental health and suicide education expert. She's a speaker, and she's here to talk to us about how to have really difficult and challenging conversations with our kids, conversations that need to happen. Anne Moss, why don't you get us started by just telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and and your story? We'd love to hear it.
1: I used to be in advertising and then I owned my I co-owned a digital marketing firm. And around 2010 I was really concerned about my younger son, Charles. Before then I had seen some signs and of course the pediatrician, he'll grow out of it. My husband, oh don't worry about it, he'll grow out of it. And my mom my Spidey son. Yeah. The intuition is saying, you know, it's something more. And I, I felt kind of like I was on an island with, with not a lot of help. And I remember we started seeing a therapist simply because my husband and I didn't know what to do, especially when he started using drugs and alcohol. I would find out later he had gone. The- drugs and alcohol to numb those feelings of suicide and to any other painful feelings, which of course doesn't resolve anything, but it gets you addicted and it pushes it away, making it something bigger later. And it robs you of the ability to develop other coping strategies. But of course, he's a teenager and guess what? In the moment, it works. So Mm -hmm. why why not use that? And isn't it better to use drugs and alcohol instead of killing himself. And I mean, who can answer that? You know, Uh, I mean, so he was chosen to be on homecoming court a sophomore year. And I think to everybody in the stands that you're looking down, they must've thought, "Oh, you know, she's got one son who actually is elected homecoming king and the other one is on the court that that family must have it made. We did not have it made, and I wasn't trying to keep it a secret, but I can tell you nobody really wanted to talk about it. And I remember going to that counselor going, are there any groups that we could go to? No, none that I know of, which is so stupid. Why wouldn't you know the resources? So every clinical, social worker, counselor-type meeting I have, I let them know there are current parental support sources and here. They are one being uh, NAMI family support mm-hmm. group in every state or available on zoom, NAMI family to family, which is a six weeks course on living with someone with mental illness. And then there's families anonymous and smart recovery. Both have ones related more to the addictions and substance misuse, which Often happens with mental illness, and we have family support as well. I would eventually go to Families Anonymous, and meanwhile, my son we have to basically kidnap him out of his bed and take him to a wilderness program, and because he's just taking all these really dangerous risks. He's using and using more and more dangerous drugs, taking greater chances. And I'm like, he is not gonna live if if he stays here much longer. And there is nothing I could do to stop it. And that's when you really realize as a parent, how helpless you are Mm. because you think, Oh, I'll just take away the car keys. I remember one parent telling me, oh, well, my kid does drugs. I just put that sort of thing. It doesn't go on in our household all haughty. Like, well, I got it made. I would later find out that her son was a drug dealer. And the way I found that out is I had spyware on my son's computer and I would see her again, and she would kind of have that haughty attitude with me. And I remember being, feeling sorry for her, but also wanting to go and say, you know, your kid is selling drugs on Facebook Messenger, right? You're you're mm-hmm. aware of that. <laughs> but I, I didn't do that. I'm not vindictive. I'm vindictive for about two seconds in my head, and then I get to a place where that's just cruel. And I probably would have told her if I thought she might have been receptive, but Mm -hmm. I don't think she would have been. So fast forward, he goes to wilderness therapeutic. He ends up not really using the coping skills he learned and he becomes addicted to heroin. And I don't know this at all. And it's kind of crazy that I don't know it, but he would text his drug dealer. Drug dealer would come to the front of the house and deliver the drugs to him in the car. He would do the drugs in the car. It was heroin. I thought you had to shoot it up. He snorted it. Mm -hmm. And then he would come back in the house and he would sleep it off. Well, it's 2 a.m. And guess what? I'm sleeping. So we didn't really know. And I mean, mm-hmm. I saw some odd behavior and things that were suspect. But I'll be honest with you, my child would do heroin. Not my kid. No way. Yeah, You know, we were good. Then, you know, we've gone through all this trouble. Therefore, somehow, to me, that built some kind of wall. We would find out he was addicted when the police came by and showed me pictures of him selling my family's silverware at a pawn shop. And I just didn't know what to do with that information at first. Of course, on one side it's like, Oh, he's definitely using drugs and the other it's like, No, there's another reason for this, you know. Mm-hmm. There's that side that doesn't want to believe. Doesn't this is want true. it
0: to be true. Sure.
1: So I end up, and I am really proud of how I handled this step. I sat down with my child, gently, calmly, without yelling. And I said, the police came by, and they showed me pictures of you selling our family silver. I looked in the box. There's one spoon left. I suspect drug use. His dad was on the speakerphone, by the way. I said, why don't you tell us what's been happening? And he goes into this big story. And I listened to the whole thing and he goes, well, do you believe me? And I just said, you know, Charles, that is some story. And then you know what I did? I shut up. I said nothing. I didn't lecture. I didn't ask Mm -hmm. more questions if we leave those stretches of silence it gives our kids a moment to process the information and a lot of really rich valuable information can can come in those silences if we shut yeah. up long enough yeah and that's what i did and then he would eventually and it probably wasn't more than a minute but
0: it it felt like a long time those silences can feel really long
1: (laughs) right and he he confesses to he thinks he may be addicted to an opiate he never says heroin because heroin is you know ugly and dripping with stigma you know Mm. wants to really be associated as a heroin addict and i and Charles didn't want to be that, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't start all this to, to grow up to be, you know, addicted to heroin. He would go to detox and rehab into to recovery house. And then he would relapse. They would take him back to detox. He saw a friend of his there, and they left together. And for two weeks, we didn't really know where they are, were. We got the occasional text and we got, each got a call. Here's what I wish I would have done. Kind of in the mode of, well, we gotta do the tough love thing. We've done everything else. Charles wasn't a tough love kid because to him, tough love was kind of weaponizing my love and saying, well, if you're not well, we don't love you anymore. And you're useless to us. I didn't think that but that's how he translated Mm -hmm. it. Because this is a very loving child. Always our love was really important. Our family was really important. And I mean, this is a kid you walked in his room and he had all the family pictures up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And by the way, them on the wall, because when he struggled with thoughts of suicide, that would stop him. Were those family pictures? I had no idea. That's why I had them up on the wall, but I would read later. That's why I did. So he's out there for two weeks. Here's what I wish I would have done. I wish I would have called him every day. And I wish I would have texted him as much as I want you to get well. I love you even if you don't allowing him to understand that he may not be living in our house or allowed to live in it and he couldn't because we were moving and we had nowhere to live in the 10 weeks between the time we sold the house and moved into the other one so we were living in various airbnbs and i mean he hadn't been with us to live in a recovery house so i didn't have accommodations for him too. And he would call me on a Friday afternoon. I didn't realize it was our last phone call. And, you know, it didn't go real well. And I was emotionally bereft. I did not handle this well. He's yelling and I yelled back. And that's never the right thing to do. We should always, we're the adult. If we start yelling, it escalates their behavior. And they're just going to get in that vortex of emotion. And we need to avoid that by staying out of that vortex of emotion and keeping in check our own emotions. But I was so emotionally spent with the house selling and him being out there. And we just, we had only known about the drug addiction for maybe 30 days or actually less. But if, Let's just say 30 days. So I didn't even wrap my arms around it. Mm -hmm. And then the police came and met us in the parking lot of where we were eating dinner one night. They called my husband's cell phone. They said, We're going to meet you right there. And they delivered the worst news of our lives and told us they had found our son dead. And then they told us it was a suicide and the method left no question. That last felt like this extra twist of the knife. And at the time I'm like, I must be the worst mother on earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't he know we loved him? Why would he do this to us? But he didn't do this to us, he did it to himself. He thought he was a burden, and that the world would be better off without him including us. He thought he was doing us a favor. You know, he's addicted, he's worthless. And wouldn't our family be much better without that all the anguish he caused? That's that's what he thought. And I understand that now. And I didn't understand why suicide for a long time. And it took me years to get there. So I sold my digital marketing business. I got the training. And then I talked to Probably now hundreds of people with lived experience because I wanted to understand what that moment was like. And it's different for everyone, but you know, some people have lived with thoughts of suicide since they were eight years old and have lived with those thoughts. Other people might have once or twice in their life and it never revisits or come up comes up. So there's all types of living with this, but I think it's really important as parents to recognize those signs because Charles did leave, oh, just big signs. And I didn't recognize them because I wasn't educated what
0: they were. And yeah, I just want to, before I jump into questions, because I have them, <laughs> I just, I just, I want to express my compassion for you And my gratitude that you've turned such a painful moment in your family's history into an opportunity for all of us to reduce suffering in the world and to learn more. So I just, I really appreciate your bravery and willingness to do that.
1: Lauren, I didn't think I could survive pain like that. I've never felt anything like that ever in my life. I mean, for a year, I would curl up on the floor and just scream and cry and kick the wall about how unfair it was. And, you know, you want to go back and redo everything because you see the errors afterwards. You see what you missed. And that's agonizing. And I just don't want other parents to miss. I mean... You know, you might be in a situation we can't prevent all suicides, but we can do the best we can. Yeah. Um, and I have gotten to a place, it took me a lot of time and a lot of work where I had forgiven myself, where I've learned to see joy again, where I've learned to live without the one that I love. And it was hard. And it doesn't mean that I've forgotten him or don't think about him or have some difficult times, but it's not like it was at first. Time and a lot of work has sort of removed the fangs of of that. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm walking broken glass with bare feet anymore. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I I so appreciate the the desire to want to do as much as we can. So what are some of the signs that we can be looking for as parents?
1: So a lot of times it's really natural for our teenager to sort of pull away from us. And, you know, what their friends do and say seems to be more important. But if they're pulling away from you and the friends and they're isolating, that is a warning sign. Okay. And and a very important one. You want to look for like multiple traits. Kids who get sick a lot, go to the school nurse a lot. They're often to struggle with maybe depression and anxiety And maybe at higher risk of suicide, you know, their stomach hurts, their muscle hurts, they get more headaches, Mm -hmm. they may get more more flu, you know, be more prone to get COVID and that was shock. I mean, I knew the first name of every nurse of every school he ever went to, and Mm -hmm. they knew me and had me on speed dial back when there was a thing called speed dial. (laughs) (laughs) And so lots of times they'll draw pictures younger kids may draw a lot of pick out death. They may write papers in English class or at home or tell stories about death. They may talk about death a lot. Charles talked about death a lot. Taking a lot of risks, like crazy risks, like doesn't he know that's going to like kill him? And there's a fine line between that thrill seeker and the one who's taking risks, who basically doesn't care if they live or die. Mm-hmm. Like, if it happens by accident, then I've I've solved all my problems.
0: Yeah, I, I, can I? So, I I really appreciate that kind of fine line distinction. I feel very curious about some of the other things that you've mentioned that can also be developmentally normal like there's developmental stages where kids do get more interested in death or if they've lost a grandparent or a pet they might talk more about it how can we as parents be discerning and figuring out what's normal and what might need a little bit more attention and then what do we do if we're seeing some of these signs what's the first step in so Charles would consistently talk
1: about dying young so Mm. while And even as a teenager, you know, mom, I might die. I'll probably die young. I'll probably never have children and not get married. And then talked about all the people who did die young. Mm. And it could be just a curious conversation. And instead of being struck dumb, we need to ask the question. I'm so curious about that. What made you think of that? Start asking more questions. And get to the bottom of it so it sounds like you think about death a lot tell me more about that do not shame them do not humiliate them remember to ask all questions related to suicide or death with curiosity and if they've lost a grandparent that's you know, if they're younger, you want to sort of define their maturity of of death of understanding, because to some kids, it's like, well, the grandmother's going to come back by magic because I see that on cartoons, you know, right, or a video game, so they don't have a mature concept of death. So, let's say your your child is at school. And they've run out into the street when they were upset or. Anything. They could have been experiencing suicidal ideation, just came on in a flash, and they had left in a flash, and they decided to run out, and, and that is suicidal ideation for a younger child. Right. But they don't know what suicidal thoughts are. They don't even know what the word suicide means. Mm -hmm. so you would ask so if you were to ask a teenager are they and you want to know if they're thinking of suicide you want to say are you thinking of suicide for a younger child you want to say were you trying to make yourself dead Mm -hmm. so you want to find out was there some intention behind the act now it may be different when you talk to them because they would have come out of that sort of spell mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better phrase because when somebody and this isn't for everyone but when they're in suicidal thought they can be in sort of a trance-like place where they don't have full control over their actions mm-hmm. you know so this yeah. these Thoughts keep coming. They're so painful. They're so persistent and intense. And intrusive. Very intrusive. Mm-hmm. But when I talk to them, I'm like that real intense part, just like my grief, lasts 60 to 90 seconds. Yep. So stick it out because it's going to drop off. And Mm -hmm. it may get intense again, but it's going to drop off and you're going to feel ambivalent. And then I can always tell when somebody's coming out of it. Like, for instance, there was a friend of mine on a bridge. And all of a sudden she said, it's really cold out here. And I'm like, bingo, she's coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Because the whole time she's like, I'm worthless. Nobody loves me. And I just, it's really important to listen to that person and and not and not try to fix it, but I got to and, and also say what they say. Mm-hmm. So they'll talk about death a lot. They'll say, I'm so worthless. Mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. Oh, I have a solution to fix this. I feel so overwhelmed. I just want to die. I'm going to kill myself. <clears throat> it's funny that when people say, I'm going to kill myself, how the parent will say, oh, well, because they said it, therefore, they're not going to do it. <laughs> no, they're telling you because they want to talk about it. Yeah. Parents don't want to ask that question. Are you thinking of suicide? Because what's the
0: first thing that they think, of? I mean, I think that a lot of parents are afraid it's going to give the kid ideas that they didn't have right. before first
1: question I got last night from a student, and it's always the first question, even if I put it in the presentation from parents, won't it plant the idea in their head? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. I will say the flip side of that is if they're at school and exposed to the suicide of a student and they're going through that period, they are at higher risk.
0: But talking about
1: it, talking about it doesn't give them the idea but instead gives them the opportunity to talk about it and what you'll see most of the time is relief like my god finally yes, somebody is... t- yeah. yeah
0: you know so I've I've experienced suicidal ideation my entire I mean since I was 13 I think is the first time I remember really really having those thoughts come in it's not something I talk about often, but I still experience that suicidal ideation from time to time during moments of extreme stress. When my window of tolerance is very low, it's one of the places my, my brain goes. And right. I can imagine at 13, if a parent had asked me some of those questions, have you ever thought about harming yourself? Do you ever you know, think about those things? I would have been so relieved because I thought I was so crazy as a 13 year old. I thought no one else was thinking these things. I thought I was so bad and so wrong for thinking about them. It took me until college studying psychology and really into grad school for me to really understand how not alone I was and how not, how common some of those thoughts can be. And how much support there was for me. I didn't know as a teenager. It would have been such a relief to have a parent to talk to about it. Wow, well,
1: I really appreciate your being so vulnerable. I think those stories are important. And if it weren't for people like you, Laura, sharing their stories with me, I swear I would have folded up like a napkin and given up. I mean, it was... It was the people who had been through this who so generously shared their hearts and their stories that helped me understand that my son didn't kill himself because I was a crummy mother. And I held on to that for a pretty long time. I also want to point out, we do not want to say, are you thinking of harming yourself? Unless we are talking about self-harm. Yeah. We want to say are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself?
0: Can we, talk we gotta a,
1: ask it. Just right
0: yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the difference between self-harm and the drivers behind self-harm versus suicide and what parents should be looking out for as them being kind of two discrete categories? Because I also know that in addition to an uptick in teen suicide and younger and younger suicide self-harm is also something that is oh, yeah. very big very happening almost ha- happens via social media to now they, these kids have so much more to contend with than what we did can we talk a little bit about some of the differences and how parents- absolutely yes yeah.
1: so self-harm is also called non-suicidal self-injury Kids who are self-harming are not attempting suicide, but they are attempting a way to sort of release the pain. So, you know, somebody who self harmed told me, she says, I don't get all this mumbo jumbo in my head, but I get blood. And when I would cut myself and I would see the blood, it's like, that's what pain is. I understand that. Mm. And she said it was a way to sort of release the pain in a way she could understand that makes sense Uh, yeah a lot of kids sort of get addicted to it it's kind of a thrill
0: there's an adrenaline yeah
1: yeah and they're wanting to feel good so there there are a lot of reasons for it those are the two main ones kids who are self-harmers are only at higher risk because they don't fear the pain. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will say, no, I'm not doing that because it might hurt while I'm doing it. And Mm -hmm. if a child who has been self-harming is also having those urges, they're just more likely to attempt because that's not a hurdle for them. They've been through the pain from cutting. So it is not a suicide attempt, but that's why the risk
0: is is greater than Mm -hmm. other kids. Okay. Thank you for that. So if we ask our kids this really hard question, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? And they say yes. What do we do besides... Not freak out in the moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you said that because that's number one. Don't freak out. And a lot of people don't want to ask it because they are afraid of the answer. They don't know Mm -hmm. what to do with it if that child says yes. And if I leave it alone, then I don't have to deal with it and everything will be okay. That's what your brain is telling you. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to go with what you feel in your gut. So your first reaction might be that sense of panic. You got to stop and take a deep breath. You have to meet them where they are. Right now, the most important thing is they are sitting in front of you. They have confessed this to you, which is something I never got. I did not know that. That is a gift. It is Mm. a huge gift. This child has also opened up to you and shared something so deep, so difficult. They've said, yes. Your first response, I am so honored. You trusted me with that information. I know it was hard. Mm. And I really appreciate you being honest. So we have to we have to let them know that is a step of courage. It is not a step of a weak person. it is a step of courage. We cannot shame them out of suicidal thoughts we you know did you ever ask to have suicidal thoughts? Was it something you desired
0: no. or did it? no you know I've been I've spent so much time being ashamed of them
1: (laughs) right so (laughs) we we cannot add to that shame like we can't say well you're not gonna do that again right you know you can't attempt that because you mean too much and I understand that when you say that you mean you I love you too mean too much to me that's not how they're seeing it. You're basically telling them you can control this, and you're sort of shaming them out of a feeling that
0: they never asked for right and and you're making them. and you're making them responsible for your happiness too, right yeah
1: it's okay for to live because while because they feel obligated to live mm-hmm. before they can engage and move forward and enjoy life on their own on their own terms again that's okay but we want that child to find their their own way and build life skills Mm -hmm. as a parent what you want to do if they've told you that or if they've attempted and they're coming home you want to just every time they walk in the door are you okay What's the matter with you? You know, you're you're panicked because now you have this knowledge mm-hmm. and you don't know what to do with that. So let's talk about before we get there, what do you actually do when you get that confession? So the next thing you want to do is get a suicide risk assessment and a safety plan. And then you might also want to get a psychological evaluation. So you want to find out if there is some kind of mental illness driving this. It may not because there are people who who struggle with thoughts of suicide who don't have a mental illness at all. Mm -hmm. And there are people with mental illness that do have thoughts of suicide. And then there are people who suffer from depression or mental illness and never have the first thought of suicide ever right where do you
0: go to get a risk assessment
1: so usually your county has a suicide risk assessment and if you are in a rural area they'll often do it telehealth or they'll do it over the phone okay so there's a columbia it's called the columbia suicide scale and they'll ask ask some questions to find out should this person be hospitalized? Mm-hmm. And I want you to know, as parents, we kind of want to put them away and go get fixed. But transitioning to a hospital environment and home is can be a tricky transition. Mm-hmm. So that's really a last resort. What we want to do is outpatient type support if if we can do that. Now, if your child is crumpled in the corner, hasn't spoken, has told you that they're thinking of suicide, and you can't even get them to speak, and they can't even function,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're gonna you're gonna need to take them to a psych facility, and usually don't have to call nine one one. You can say, "Let's get in the car and let's go to a facility and get you a suicide risk assessment and see where we are with this." Mm-hmm. To best ability, you want to tell them what the next steps are, or you can call and put it on speakerphone so you're yeah. both listening at the same time.
0: And what about, so because of the way all of these resources are over, overtaxed right now, what if the wait seems too, like too long? What if the wait to get in for a psych eval is too long? Some, I mean, some of the clients that I work with, they, they have to wait six months to a year. What what are some steps that you can take as a parent to advocate for your kid and get them more support sooner?
1: So if your child is having suicidal thoughts and you've called the county and like here it'd be RBHA, which is Richmond Behavioral Health Authority, and they have a crisis line. Mm -hmm. You'd call there, they do the suicide risk assessment, which is basically on a scale of one to 10, is this child going to like attempt tonight you know Mm -hmm. how how serious is it where are they right now in their thought process Mm -hmm. have did before they'll get a lot of information and they make you know an informed decision and then they'll do the safety plan after that the psychological evaluation in some counties they'll follow up right away with that with that kind of patient
0: Got it. Some okay. of them they'll
1: make they'll make them wait. They're not going to make you wait for suicide risk assessment. That has to be done, Jen. Okay, it's considered an emergency. I don't want parents immediately calling nine one one unless their child is sitting in the house with a firearm. <laughs> and anytime you mix guns and images. There is risk there. And I mean, not that our police officers are now trained. They handle the situation better, but it is a last resort. And I would call 988 if you don't have anywhere else to call. Or you can text 741741. And you can call if you are worried about someone else. And you can call and put it on speakerphone so that your loved one hears the response that, you know, so that you're not keeping them in the dark.
0: Okay. And so we've been talking a lot about our own children, but what if your kid comes to you and tells you that their friend this think having some of these thoughts or been think, talking about it more and is concerned what can we do as parents for if it's not just our kid but it's right. a kid in our community
1: so I I get that a lot a parent will say I don't I don't know whether I should reach out to that parent or not and I'll say well let me ask you this Would you want to know about your child's suicide before they attempted and died by suicide or would you want to know after? And usually people are like, okay, I'd want to know before. It may be that you don't know the parent, but you know the child really well. And that can be awkward. So maybe you and your child call together and then you know and you practice it and you talk about it and say this is going to be an awkward conversation it's going to be uncomfortable i just know as a mom that i would want to know this and ashley has something important to share with you if you do not want or have no contact with this parent Go through the school counselor. Mm -hmm. Tell your school counselor and say, and have your child be involved in this process. Don't cut them out. You want to start taking agency for their own mental health and their own life. And you're teaching them. Mm -hmm. And you're just partnering with them. So... You can then tell the school counselor what you know, because you've got to tell another trusted adult that can take action, because mm-hmm. this is life or death. I mean, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to find out later that that your son had been talking to two kids who had told their parents, and none of them told you because they were afraid of how you were going to react.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that parent... Usually they don't, but maybe that parent cusses you out, screams at you, hates forever. But I would rather have a parent mad at me than a child dead, and that's when you know I have got to go to the school counselor now. Mm-hmm. I can't let
0: this go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I mean, it's a really hard situation, but so important that we stick up for all all kids and do those hard things right. and, teach our, and teach our kids how to do the hard things. Um, I lost a friend in college. Um, she survived her suicide attempt. Um, but because I called, um, got, I got her help afterwards. She would never speak to me again, and she disclosed after she had taken you know steps towards ending her life and I so I, I lost that friendship in college it was a really hard thing to do as a you know I was 19 it was very hard to face that but that person has a life and a family now too you know right so wow we, we we do lose we you know there are risks so it's not it's not like you know I think if our, our kids were I, I think about a child a teenager in that situation perhaps being quite worried about losing a friend or them being mad at them or being ostracized. And I think it being the parent being, you need to be really strong and making sure that that we're all doing the right thing too, at the same time. And I think as parents, we have to be willing to have our kids be mad at us when we're talking about a topic like this, when we're talking about lives. Exactly.
1: And so what you said there, number one, wow. I'm, I'm amazed and really proud that at 19 years old, you did the right thing, and you took that risk, and it it kicked you in the butt, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like my mom started to talk about suicide, and the very first time she did it, she reached out to a friend who had lost a child to suicide, and as soon as she called and said she wanted to talk to them, they hung up on her. And she was like in her 80s and she called me and she, she, you know, she was so hurt. And I'm like, I just started crying. I said, mom, I'm so proud of you. And then she got over the hurt because I, that's really coming a long way for her. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, this is somebody who never talked about mental health or, or mm-hmm. any of the ugly family stuff. And reached out to someone and she got the door slammed in her face. But she did it, and I was just so proud of her for doing it. There was a young lady who called 911, a young man, and he had a firearm. So she actually made the right call by calling 911. He had it in his possession, and he was telling her over the phone that he was going to kill himself. The cops show up at the door. The parents are like, what are you doing here (laughs) i had no idea he's just upstairs in his room they Mm. call the young man down he comes down and they say well mom we will bring you in this conversation but we want to talk to him first everything's okay he's not in trouble just to kind of calm her nerves yeah yeah she's still freaking out what they want to talk about They talk to him, and then they talk to the parent, and he ends up going to the ER. Mm. He is so ticked off at this young lady calling 911. And so the mom calls me and says, oh, my gosh, what do I do? He's so mad at her. And I said, he'll probably call me. But I want you to defend what she did and you know it's only because she cares about you Mm -hmm. that she did what she did and I quite frankly am glad she did that because it saved your life and where would I be you know now if you hadn't done that and that said part two is you need to call this young lady because she's freaking out yes yeah she has no idea how you know how you feel and you need to tell her all right right now he's ticked off here's this dance and i am so grateful you you did the right thing thank you so much i I will i can't be more grateful let me tell you this child had been freaking hadn't been sleeping she was worried nobody was talking to her and so you know, just by the fact this mom called. A Couple weeks go by, she sends me a picture of the two of them hanging out. So he had called her and told her, thank you. <laughs> and they got to be friends. And you know, this isn't like your 19 year old story, but I think the difference is in this case, the mom said, she did the right thing. I'm really proud of her. And it was so brave. And think about how scared she was to do Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And I think a little later on, he was able to put on that hat and understand how absolutely frightened she was to make that call. Yeah. Because it's hard. I've had to, and it is hard. And I've had one person get really mad at me, but she got she was grateful a few weeks later and yeah. but like you could go another way and yes. I just had to take that chance
0: yeah so I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about those kind of deeply pivotal moments I'm yeah. kind of curious if we can talk a little bit about How, you know, so as we wrap up, I want to be respectful of your time. I just want to touch on, is there anything we can be doing as parents to, as an earlier prevention, you know, to prevent that kids getting from that point um, to that dark place? Right.
1: So first of all, we have to understand why our children aren't developing the skills that we developed as children because when the digital age moved in, that which we thought would bring us together, pushed us apart. Mm -hmm. And our kids started getting less face-to-face time than generations before. Well, that face-to-face time, time on the playground, negotiating with the neighborhood referee that's not been paid, you know, that you've got, (laughs) you know, you gotta figure out if you don't like the call and you've stocked up, well, you gotta negotiate yourself back into the game, right? Or you got no friends. (laughs) So that was kind of my world. Well, our kids aren't getting enough of those opportunities to build the resilience. So we need to start building those in our parenting skills, and we need to start building those opportunities in school. And I have a list of nine. We're not going to get through them all, but I'm just going to touch the most important. And the first one is listen more and lecture less. Mm. Our kids are not feeling seen and heard. We're lecturing them. We're telling them what to do. And they'll tell you the same things over and over because they do not feel heard. Yeah. And we need to shut up and we need to acknowledge. So what you're saying is that you think that all your friends hate you. So. Tell me more about that. Why do you think that? Instead of refuting, oh, that's not true. You're absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then being sort of cheerleaders and pushing them into the light. Mm -hmm. We need to allow them that moment of not being okay, of being in pain without punishing them and shaming them and drowning them in toxic positivity and parent cheerleading. Right. And if we do that, they're more likely to come back to us when they're struggling. And I'm going to share one more tip of the nine, and that is be vulnerable yourself. Mm. And I don't mean saddling them with some huge issue, but let's say you're going to work for a new job. You're really, really nervous and you want to make a good impression and you're feeling really anxious. You may tell your children, I had been so angry and irritable and I'm going to tell you why it has nothing to do with you. And I've been taking it out on you and I'm so embarrassed, but I'm really anxious about this new job and I would really appreciate some random hugs <laughs> and whatever you can do, because I'm not handling this role well and I will handle it well. And I'm going to figure out some healthy coping strategies to do that. Mm -hmm. But you could help. And I would love it if you would help. And the random hugs and the understanding would would really go a long way. You're giving them some power Mm -hmm. in a world where they feel unseen, unheard, and powerless. Mm -hmm. When they give you that hug, they're going to instantly recognize that you turn into limp noodle and you are no longer have the racing heart and the Mm -hmm. sweatiness. They're going to understand that they are an important part of helping you. Mm -hmm. And they learn something in that process. And I'm going to share a story that's so sweet. So a mom did this. She was starting a new job. Her 12-year-old and her nine-year-old got together, and other than doing the random hug, which they did, they started writing notes, and they snuck down to where she had made her lunch, and they put these notes in her lunch, so she opens it up at noon the first day, and the daughter had written a note, I love you, mom, I hope you're not feeling nervous today, you're the best, you're the best nurse ever, they did this. he did it the next day they did these personal notes for two weeks Aww,
0: so I, have beautiful. One of those notes.
1: I know <laughs> I know so you know they felt like they were really doing something and they did what do you think she did with those notes do you oh, think she, she threw those away oh they're treasures they
0: have- yeah they're treasures. Treasures. absolutely she will never let those go and the other like super powerful thing about that is that she modeled for them what it's like to recognize within yourself that you're going through a hard time and to reach out for support from loved ones. Like exactly. And, and gave them permission to do the same. I, I love that. I have, I know you mentioned that you have an e-resource that an ebook that, parents can access that have some some deeper conversations about this can you make sure that I get the link to that or you can tell them absolutely where to go Uh, I
1: have I do what I'll do is I'll send you the link and you'll get the resilience book and you'll also get the book about if your child has admitted they're suicidal Mm -hmm. and you know that's been a really popular download because I'm contacted about that all the time but it gives you scripts You may not do that script, but it'll give you an idea what you can set.
0: Yeah. And I I feel like it would be so good for parents to like, even if this is not on your radar right now, download it now, read it now so that it's there and ready for you when you are, you know, lots of my listeners have much younger children, um, but I think it's, this is something to start getting used to and comfortable with so that when the need arises, we're ready and we've got that skill set.
1: But the resilience one, yeah, we need to start doing that now. Right now. And we need mm-hmm. to start asking our our kids questions and not lecturing them. Yes, so listening they, and not lecturing. They, yeah. Right. So they come up with their own, well, they, you know, you kind of do what I call motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. but parent style. And then I give you examples of what that looks like and
0: sounds like. So, yes. I will send you links to that. Okay, so those links will be in the show notes. Anne Moss, thank you so much for for being so brave and vulnerable and sharing your story and turning it into a a beautiful way of preventing more pain and hurt in the world. I really um, can't say thank you enough in helping us have this difficult um, but really necessary conversation.
1: Well, thank you. You asked some questions not a lot of people have asked. to really dig into those difficult, pivotal moments. I appreciate that. That'll kind of differentiate this particular interview from a lot of others. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciated our conversation too. Thank you again. Absolutely.